Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Administrative Static. This is John Vecchioni, and I'm here with Mark Chenoweth. And uh, I, I've been listening to some of the Supreme Court arguments that have started up this fall. And one that I found very interesting uh, was one that I, I sort of uh, gave you folks a, a preview of, which is the National Pork Producers v. Ross. And this is the case where California has said that you can't sell pork in California unless the pigs have massages and uh, no, <laughs> they, they say they say that the pigs have to have a certain amount of size of their pens and be able to turn around and do various things that they want the pigs to be able to do. Put they on lipstick. Animal rights people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but ap- apparently what I learned from this argument that one of the times where they really um, confine the pigs are right after birth because the sows can eat up the pigs or or injure themselves and stuff. So, and and one of the other things about this case that makes it is California consumes 13% of the nation's pork, but it produces less than 1%. There are mm. very few, you know, it's a huge agricultural state, California, but apparently no pigs. <laughs> and so, and so. Right. And they, yet pork is a staple of both Latino diets and Asian American correct. diets, which both have large very, populations in large California. Large population in California. And, and, um, and, uh, out, out in the west, in the eastern part of California, all those cowboys are probably <laughs> pretty big on it too at the barbecue. But in any event, so I think that um, so so uh, the the pork producers are all worried that they're going to have to do this for California, and they have brought this suit under the Dormant Commerce Clause. Now, the Dormant Commerce Clause and is an interesting um, Supreme Court doctrine that's been developed over a very, very long period of time, but it has its critics. And what it says is, is that what the constitution did was create a national market so that states could not discriminate against the state, uh, the products of other states, so that you couldn't have trade wars between the states. New Jersey couldn't say, we're not buying anything from New York here, that sort of thing. That straight dormant commerce clause of banning another, uh, state's products is probably so well established that that'll, that won't go away. And, and, and so many problems would develop if you could do it that I, but, but then there's other, there's another um, group of cases. And these group of cases are when a state has some internal rule about uh, how, what, what safety standards products sold within the state have to have that may affect other states. Is that a dormant commerce clause problem? The, this the, is the old square mud flaps versus round mud flaps <laughs> question on the uh, interstate trucks, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Do you, so, um, so, so what's happened? So the argument was interesting. First of all, I'd never heard uh, Mr. Bishop, who was arguing for the uh, for the National Pork people. He's over at Mayor Brown, but he has an English accent, and I just have not heard too many foreign accents. On uh, he's evidently litigate. He's 
taken seven or eight cases before that. Yeah, he's been there a long time at Mer Brown. Exactly. Yeah. But but I and he's been before the Supreme Court, but I the, He was there when I was a summer associate oh, in really? nineteen ninety eight, John. Uh, holy back. So, so he may he may have more than seven or eight. So I, I I read the Mayor Brown website. Oh okay. So they but 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 I did find it it was uh interesting to me who listens to a lot of these. I said, wait a minute, you don't get too many foreign accents on the uh, on the Supreme Court docket. That's true. But um anyway, but they really pounded him. Uh, and 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 here's here's what's going on. It's not a regular split, six uh, three or whatever. Uh, Gorsuch hates the dormant commerce clause like Satan. He he was just he was just attacking Bishop, and he said, "Listen, um, if Congress wants to solve it. Congress could make a national standard, and Congress and California couldn't do anything about it. But aren't you bringing back Lochner now?" I think that was a little much. I don't think Mr. Bishop was arguing for the return of Lochner, but and, and Lochner was not a dormant commerce. No, case, it wasn't. So. But it was the balancing of, of it was. He thinks it's imposing an economic theory. Oh, so, so oh, he okay. thinks he's is imposing an economic theory upon the nation and and getting involved in things that they have no ability to do. And the other fellow who thinks this is Thomas, and Thomas wasn't quite as uh, obstreperous as he never <laughs> as as Gorsuch was. But he, he was just peppering him about, look, can't Congress just solve this? And the fact is, Congress can solve this. But this is another case where I think that the, the perception that Congress is inert in our, in our constitutional structure at the present time is influencing the judges, the justices, in ways that it shouldn't be. Because if the problem became big, hopefully Congress would address it. So but what if they didn't? And what if they, well, does that, Iowa not have any rights as a state against California? This is Al Alito's view. So Alito is the biggest proponent of this national market and that these things that overburn it. There's something called pike balancing. And this comes from a case from 1970, which is that you the, could, the pike case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Pike. Sorry, pike go ahead. Bruna. Anyway, but, but in any event, so, so it's called the bike pike balancing test. And, some of the lower courts, as Gorsuch put out, don't like it much, but it has to do, you can make any safe and health regulations you want within your state, but then there's a balancing test with if it creates too much of a burden on other states, does that uh, now uh, it, it sort of su subterfuge against the dormant commerce clause? Right. So if you have a lot of pig farming in your state and you put this- right. Like if Iowa were to put some regulations right. on pig farmers and on everybody else's farmers, you might think right. they're obviously not discriminating against out-of-state farmers. Right. And so the other thing that came up in this is whether or not moral um, laws that are basically regulating morals because animal. Um, like the amount right. of space in the crate. Right. Exactly. All things, all things to stop animal cruelty. Those are sort of moral clauses. Now, they tried to gussy it up with science. They're saying that if you don't do this, diseases, and we just came over COVID, right? So diseases spread from animals faster this way, and they'll need more antibiotics. So that creates more um, antibiotic resistance, which it sounds to me like a reach, but but that's what California said. And, and usually under the rational basis test, that would sail through in the old days anyway. So I, I think that this was very interesting because what, what's going on here is uh, Roberts was asking it, uh, Kagan was asking it, and 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 uh, Barrett was all asking about what do we do with morals? What do we do with moral legislation? Being why are they asking us? Why are they so concerned? Well, it's abortion. The, many states have hinted that they'll stop 
uh, they'll make it criminal to travel out of state to, to have an abortion. And there's a right to travel that's like from 1823 or 1827. It's an old case. It's not like made up stuff. But um, but so I, I don't I think that. But California should be careful what uh, it wishes for. Well, exactly. <laughs> so I think that the previous right to travel cases would cover that. But the commentators seem to think that the dormant commerce clause has something to do with it. I, I don't. I just think it would burden the right to travel and that would be it at the end of it. But that's what everyone's thinking about. So what do you do? And and. I, I have a lot of sympathy for the Thomas position on the dormant commerce clause, but the hypotheticals were making me think. They said, what if, what if Calif Texas makes a law that you have to certify that none of your products were made by illegal immigrants? And then, and then California makes a law that all of your products have to make, be, be sold there only with unionized employees. And then, and, then, and then another state says you can only have it if you don't have unionized employees. Or only if, you use, only if you use renewable energy in right. the making of the product. Right, exactly. So, uh, I mean, that is a, is a recipe for balkanization. So, but the real, the problem is, well, what is, I think the pike balancing, and I, Kavanaugh was hitting on this hard, he said, this was a motion to dismiss. This case was thrown out on a motion to dismiss. Kavanaugh says, well, haven't you just stated a claim for pike balancing and we don't have to get into any of this? And I think he's right, um, Mark. <laughs> oh, don't make me do that, Kavanaugh. Come on. So I, <laughs> no, that, sound, that sounds like I, a reasonable approach. I think that dismissal on um, simply on the um, pleadings was improper. And, and that may be somehow how they fix this, because there is a big problem going on here. As, as the um, court folks said, there aren't a lot of laws like this in the past. This isn't kind of how uh, people had acted. But as, as, as big sort happens and people move to different states with different values, and then they try to oppose them outside their borders, this is going to be a big deal. And it's going to be a big deal, not for Rhode Island and Montana doing this. It's going to be, it's going to be California, Florida, New York, maybe Ohio and Texas and places like that. They're going to say, well, we like things this way and you're going to do things this way. And then you have a balkanized market and prices are going to go up. Um, because what they, the poor people said is that a ban would be perfectly constitutional. You can ban things in your state. Uh, because that doesn't affect other states. It doesn't affect how they have to do things and sell anything. They just can't sell it there, um, which I think is it's probably right, because you can say that we don't like this in our state. For instance, if I'm Hawaii and I say that uh, we ban live pets coming here because we got a unique environment and all our ground birds got eaten by snakes. So you can't, you can't have any here. I can see bans like that being held up in a heartbeat. So um Anyway, it, it is going to be a case to watch, which you would not fully think that just from who's who's involved. Um, the, the pork, the national pork producers uh, versus California is not one that I had on my bingo card. Um, so but because of the end of row and because of the huge economic effects this will have if all the states say, OK, now I'm going to do this. And 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 it's very plausible because, you know, this. The Texas abortion law, where they said no fed, no uh, state official can enforce it. We're just going to give a private right of action. Well, that was a California trick. California invented that. 
they they invented it for a bunch of other laws that they had and now it's spread to others and the shoe's on the other foot and they're going this is an outrage uh so the shoe will be on the other foot other states will do this and it'll come up to the supreme court again i don't think it should come up on a motion to dismiss we'll be right back Welcome back to Administrative Static. Couldn't let uh, John be on his own here for too long, so I had to come back to the show. But uh, excited to talk about an amicus brief that NCLA filed last week in Consumers Research et al. the Consumer Product Safety Commission at the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. And this is one of a couple of cases out there, John, that have been filed against the Consumer Product Safety Commission that take issue with the structure of that uh, agency. And it is a, it's an independent agency like the FCC or the FTC. It has five commissioners who uh, only two of, uh, I guess, uh, only three of the five can be of the president's party, I think is, I don't remember exactly how the statute words that, but it's a, it's a bipartisan uh, structure uh, on purpose. It's independent. Uh, it's an, one of these independent agencies uh, and the, uh, unlike some of the other cases out there here, the district court held that the agency violated Article Two of the Constitution and the separation of powers because the commission exercises substantial executive power but is improperly insulated from presidential removal. And so the appeal in this case is by the agency. The CPSC has appealed uh, to the Fifth Circuit. I'm sure they probably wish they could appeal somewhere other than the Fifth Circuit, but that's what they're, uh, that's what they're, uh, that's what they're stuck with. And CPC, CPSC uh, argued that its structure is identical to the Federal Trade Commission and that FTC's structure has been upheld as constitutional in Humphrey's executor v. United States, which we have talked about uh, on this show, including quite, quite recently. Uh, and it, it reasoned, the, the court uh, reasoned that uh, FTC, as it existed in 1935, did not exercise uh, any executive power. And the district court here acknowledged uh, that there was a Humphreys executor exception to the general rule of unrestricted presidential power to remove executive officers. But it held that unlike the 1935 FTC, the Consumer Product Safety Commission exercises substantial executive power and therefore does not fall within the Humphreys executor uh, exception. And I, this could be a problem for the administrative state, John, because if uh, the um, you know if this if what the CPSC does is sufficiently executive, then I don't see how any of these other uh, agencies uh, escape uh, either. I mean, certainly. Uh, so, for example, the uh, uh, we've talked. Uh, I think we've talked about about your FTC case on here before, right? No, not 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 not, 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 one. not the current one. Okay. Well, su suffice it to say that uh, when the FTC. Uh, wants to bring a case against uh, an individual or an organization, they can do so directly. Now they have to run it by 
the Department of Justice first and give the Department of Justice an opportunity uh, to bring that. Uh, but the CPSC is a little bit different. If, if they want to bring a case, they pretty much have to rely on the Department of Justice. And it might not, that might not be the case as a, uh, as a statutory matter. I'd have to double check that, John. But just as a practical matter, I can tell you from my time uh, at the agency, they don't have any litigators in the general counsel's office. So they can't, they, they don't have the, the, the internal capacity to, to bring right, which litigation. Which we discussed it on Axon. Oh, okay. Exactly okay. what the FTC ha can. They can bring anything. They they can bring cases that Justice Department doesn't want to bring, and they can take a different view than the Justice Department on antitrust or whatever. So you have two agencies of the same president yeah. on opposite sides. Makes no sense. That, that makes no sense. And and the CPSC used to be part of, gosh, would it have been the Department of Commerce or would it have been the uh, would it have been uh, part of a different uh, agency? I'm not sure. But back in the 1970s, it was carved out and created as a uh, as an independent agency and given uh, some of these uh, sort of more executive kinds of, of powers. And uh, whereas when it existed under the auspices of, I'm going to say the Department of Commerce, but that might be wrong, John, I can't remember for sure. That would have been under the auspices of someone who the president had direct control over and could have fired, right? If the, if the president doesn't like what his Secretary of Commerce does, gives the heave-ho. But uh, Congress, in a fit of uh, of uh, uh, trying to exert extra power over the executive back in the 1970s, uh, probably part of the post-Watergate era. I don't know the exact timing of this. It could have been, I mean, EPA was created under Nixon, right? It could have been that there were some, uh, th that some of these agencies weren't just part of the Watergate uh, reaction. But in any event, uh, it was set up as an independent agency and these, these uh, executive functions that might have been fine when directly under presidential control when siphoned off or, or cordoned off into these independent agencies could become a problem. And we've been living with this in this world for 45 or 50 years, John, but I, cases like this tell me that the federal courts are starting to have uh, second thoughts uh, about that. I think, uh, you know, one of the things that we've said, I think we talked about our our uh, amicus brief in the FTC v. v Walmart case, uh, we have said that Humphrey's executor uh, will need to be uh, reconsidered because executive power can't be exercised by persons who are protected uh, from removal and that uh, removing executive officials is part of what constitutes executive power and that that's unqualified. Uh, and something like the Consumer Product Safety Commission. It's led by five commissioners like the FTC. Those commissioners can only be removed for cause. And I suppose, John, it's an open question whether for cause includes any reason that the president deems Yeah, well, that's, important, that's right? ever, ever since these two uh, strings of cases that the president gets to remove, start mashing together, they've lowered what for cause means. It keeps dropping till it's almost at will, but we don't know yet, right? Right. But what does the CPC, what can the commissioners do? What What do they do? Sure. So uh, they can do recalls and force you to, to take products off the market. They can bring enforcement actions against folks who have, uh, say, imported something in violation of of federal law, like fireworks is a big one that they go after every year that there's always folks trying to import you know, fireworks that exceed the federal maximum, you know, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, 
they uh, they can create product safety standards uh, that that manufacturers have to follow. Uh, they can ban products and, and take take you know not just recall products, but they can ban products so they can say there there is no safe way to make a certain kind of product. And and I think in some ways the prototypical example of that is Jarts. Do you remember Jarts, John, I from do when you were that. kind of lawn these lawn darts that you would throw up in the it had a very heavy tip and then they would land and they would stick in the ground and sort of you could have a kind of a target on the ground well that's great as long as there isn't a child in the vicinity of the of the uh, uh incoming uh jart but the, there were many tragic uh, accidents with this toy and so it was taken off the market uh so these are the kinds of things that that the cpsc can do and frankly john they feel fairly executive the yeah. the the I mean, I, I guess you could argue that something like a product safety standard is legislative or quasi-legislative. But if you're enforcing that product safety standard, how is that not executive? I would think that would be quintessential executive power. Yeah, that, it's true. And and uh, I do think, though, that, that, that these boards are going to have to reckon with this because after Lucia, it, it, it's coming down the pike. It's, it's coming down the pike and the rule is going to be the same, I think, for all of these different agencies, right? It, it's not as though the, the Consumer Product Safety Commission can, uh, it can get away with executive power that the FTC can't get away with or that the SEC can get away well, with power that the FCC can't I, I will get away say, with. I will say this. We still have international baseball. <laughs> so, so, and I'll just explain that is that back in the 1920s, the uh, Supreme Court made a ruling that baseball is a local you know, the Yankees are a local team and Boston's a local team. And so they're not, they're local and they're not subject to antitrust. So that's why you always hear all the time, oh, we're going to subject, Congress says we're going to subject you to antitrust. Well, under every other rule for any other industry, I'm here to tell you, baseball is not local. No. But so maybe the FTC gets a pass for Humphrey's executor, but everybody else goes down because they like starry decisis, but it would be ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and so the, the question is, uh, for the Fifth Circuit is uh, whether or not the CPSC uh, exercises uh, executive power. And, uh, you know, if if it finds that the agency, well, I mean, if it upholds the finding of the district court that the agency uh, does uh, exercise executive power, I think that's I think that's going to be a problem. Now, it's not clear what the remedy is for that. It's not necessarily clear that that what you would do is uh, is is strike down the protection for the commissioners, for example. The court could just as easily say, this action that you did was an executive action. You're forbidden from doing an executive action. Therefore, we're going to just set aside this particular executive action that you did. And you might say, John, well, but doesn't that imply that they won't be able to do any of those executive actions in the future? Well, yes, it does. But courts tend to act incrementally, and if they do behave in that way, it at least gives Congress an opportunity to try to fix the situation, and it sort of kicks the, I don't want to say kicks the can, but it, but it, it punts the question over to Congress, where it probably should be in terms of how do you want to properly set up uh, these agencies. So I don't see one of these cases coming down uh, with a holding that uh, the entire agency goes away or that one of these sort of dramatic uh, kinds of holdings. I think it's much more likely, I'd be curious of your opinion on this, John, but I think it's much more likely that they'll incrementally uh, say that some of these actions are individually uh, prohibited. I, I think that's exactly, I think that's what they'll do. And it'll, it'll be 
precedent and I'll have continuing problems. And then the agency will go to Congress and say, we need this or we need that. Or, so uh, I, I don't think it will be that dramatic. And, and then, of course, that leaves the question of whether Humphrey's executor was, uh, was rightly decided in the first place. And I think, it, I think we, we believe it at NCLA, and there's a strong argument that it wasn't decided correctly in the first place. That is that even at the time that, that Humphrey's executor was handed down, the FTC was combining executive and legislative and judicial power in ways that, uh, that the separation of powers forbids under the federal constitution. And I think that's something that's, that they're going to have to grapple with in these cases, because it's certainly true uh, that the CPSC that it does for example, judicial power in making some of the enforcement determinations that it makes in 14 recalls, et cetera. So uh, uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens in this case uh, to keep an eye on uh, research head out. Maybe we'll see if it goes to the field. We'll be right back.